Hi there, it's Phil here. Last time when I spoke to Dr. Henry Masoma, the professor of kindness, he said he wanted to talk about continuous learners and unlearners next. So that's what we're going to do today in the second episode of our special series of the Game Changers podcast. Let's get into it. Henry, today we're going to talk about continuous learners and unlearners because that was a really good suggestion of yours last time. So I think it's a, <laughs> it's, a, it's a really good thing to go for. When we did our research on the notion of someone who learns and unlearns continuously, we ended up with the idea that we wanted um, young men who were prepared for a lifetime where they learned and unlearned and were inspired by transformation Mm-hmm. They could grow by making sense of the volume, pace, and intensity of our times. Tell me about our times. Tell me about the stuff that you're seeing out there that is perhaps different from uh, the world when we were growing up. Well, the, um, Phil, the world when we were growing up uh, appeared to have an air of, uh, of consistent rhythm. And the times we live in are times of what one author calls permanent beta, where there's so much change and change is so rapid that our young people, uh, I believe, are caught in a cycle of keeping up. And I think that in itself creates scenarios where it's hard to um, establish, establish yourself as a learner because the moment you learn something, boom, here's a new thing. And so this continuous cycle is putting our young people you know, almost an intellectual tailspin, if you will. And so keeping up is challenging, but it's necessary because we're the only species on the planet that adapts as to the rate that we do. And so they have no choice. And what I'm seeing out here, at least even in Texas with my students, is sometimes they are so overwhelmed at the level of change and the level of information. It makes sense that they're not transforming their information into knowledge. And so when somebody says to me, information is power, I almost want to say that for our young people, yes, they have a lot of information, but the power is lacking because it's not changed to knowledge. And what do you think then is the process for learning that helps uh, young people to transform information into knowledge? What does it take? Well, that's... (laughs) Phil, that's the part where I'm excited about this idea of almost, uh, even when I met with you and you talked about building character in young men, uh, I thought, wow, this gentleman pretty much is, is doing noble work. And I call it noble because I think these young men have to be, um, it's almost stripped. Uh, when I talk about stripped, uh, what I mean is it's almost like, uh, you know, you have an old classic vehicle that you're just in love with. And you know that there's beauty under that shell of a car that it used to be let's say a 1950s model of a Camaro or a Mustang. You remember the roar, the 5.0 engine that's in there. And you say to yourself, you know, I'm gonna restore this. And so I believe for our young people, they're that 5.0 Mustang that's got the roar that's, they're not without uh, oomph. They have the oomph, but it's us as educators stripping off that bad paint and then recoding it with this fine color that brings the shine back. I think that's our work. I think if we go in there trying to take out the engine, we, we lo- we'll, we'll create headless monsters, you know, people that lose their identity and the fact that we're trying to reconstruct something that they kind of have, but that just needs to be polished. So that requires a degree of discernment, doesn't it, on the part of both the that's teacher right. and the learner? Um, because you've got to be able to work out what is worth keeping 
what are what are, what are the things that we really value that we really really want to hang on to and what's what what's the stuff that belongs to a former era um you know what and and it, it it's interesting i actually think younger people um uh, and particularly younger men when i talk with them particularly you know the the guys who i work with i'm really lucky uh, as you know i've got a tremendous uh, crew of uh, of 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 younger guys uh, uh, around me and and and, you know, and and when they talk about um their world i think they're acutely aware of um what a contemporary masculinity might be they're certainly very aware of what outdated masculinity looks like um, um they're much more conscious of uh that sense of the the other and so they're not so committed to the notion of being the same as everybody else they're they're coming out of that adolescent phase they're thinking through um the notion of respect of consideration of kindness for all as opposed to um the 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 dominance of one type of person one type of man Phil, you, you, you hit the nail on the head. Actually, if, if, if I was to rephrase what I've shared earlier on, I'd say I think it's going to require a level of humility on our part, if you will. I'm going to call you and I the elders. <laughs> uh, we are, it's going to invite us to a place of actually acknowledging the fact that our, our young people are more willing to make that change, sometimes more than we are. And uh, we are the ones maybe who are so married to the ideas of yesteryear to the uh, things that define us. I'll give you an example. Um, I have recently discovered in myself how unprogressive I can be in some areas of my life because of the models set there before me, especially growing up in a very traditional African setting. And uh, I like to borrow the words from a friend of mine who says change is painful and pain is changeful. And how, oh my goodness, Phil, even looking at the way I, I look at my daughter versus my sons, you know, and looking at how the models have shifted and, you know, how, you know, right now my, my, one of my daughters wanted to play soccer and the other one wants to do ballet and you're thinking both should do ballet and, you know, then you look at where do these mindsets come from and making these shifts, it's been quite uh, a paradigm shift for me. I'm a man of many cultures in terms of living in the West and, live, and having been brought up in, in Africa. Um, yeah. I think, um, I think, I, I think it, that brings us to the question of unlearning, which is almost the more interesting part of being a learner and unlearner. If we're talking about times which have got volume and pace and intensity, if we're talking about times um, which uh, we're constantly in, in, a, in a beta phase, um, but also times which um, my, my, my good friend and colleague Adriano de Prado would call the age of humans. So it, it is an age of humanity and trying to wrestle with all this sort of stuff. Um, then I think we reach a point um, where I, I, I like to use a metaphor of a bucket. Um, every one of us in different parts of our life has a bucket. And, and our bucket is different sized and the different size of our bucket doesn't matter. Your bucket could be bigger than mine. It, doesn't, it really doesn't matter. But once my bucket is full, then I have to turn around and I have to find a way to empty it so that I can ref, uh, replenish 
refill, refuel along the way. Um, and, and the challenge is that when you've got a full bucket and you like that bucket and you like the way it's working for you um, and it's comfortable and it's easy, then shedding is difficult to do. So what, what, how do you think boys and men can learn and unlearn well in today's culture? How do you, how do you think they do that? They can do that. Umwana ashenda atasha nina efio epika. Phil, I expect you to know that the next time we talk again. Umwana, go ahead, say it. Umwana. Umwana. Ashenda. Ashenda. Atasha. Atasha. Nina. Nina. Efio. Efio. Epika. Epika. Yes, and what that means is um, a child that doesn't travel thinks its mother is the greatest cook. A couple of years ago, I had the privilege of speaking to a Nobel Peace Prize laureate that taught in my department. His name was Dr. Norman Borlaug. He was responsible for the Green Revolution in 1972. And he said a couple of things to me that really got my attention. When I asked him, how are we going to change the world? I expected him to come up with this huge agrarian type of answer. You know, we're going to do something in the agriculture sector that transforms the world. And he looked at me and he said, son, where are you from? I said, Zambia. He goes, oh, I've been to your country. And guess what he said to me? He said, Son, your country needs more roads. He saw that as a solution. More roads. And I think we need to teach our young men how to build roads. How to cross-pollinate ideas. To remind them that they are not holding the monopoly on, on the future or how to handle the future. Because as you and I know, every time we travel, and you and I met in Singapore, we're exposed to a way of thinking, a way of looking at the world that helps us reframe. So if there's ways that we could have our young people travel across these roads, even without leaving a space, but leaving a mental space, I think we win. When my son goes to Africa and he's playing in a park with a child that grew up in Africa, and my son is looking at this child who's playing with a, a toy that is just battered and beat, but this kid's having a blast, Something happens in his mind at observing the fact that this kid has a toy that is barely a buck and my son has toys that cost a couple hundred dollars that he just plays with. I think we need to really force... In fact, there's a poem I want to share with you if you don't mind. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You go for it, please. It says, when your eyes are tired, the world is also tired. When your vision has gone, no part of the world can find you. Time to go into the dark where the night has eyes to recognize its own. There you can be sure you're not beyond love. The dark will be your home tonight. The night will give you a horizon further than you can see. Again, I'll say that again. The night will give you a horizon further than you can see. You must learn one thing. The world was made to be free in, young man. The world was made to be free in. Give up all other worlds except the one to which you belong. Sometimes it takes darkness and the sweet confinement of your loneliness to learn. Anything or anyone that does not bring you alive is too small for you. Anything or anyone that does not bring you alive is too small for you. There's something exciting about taking journeys that brings us all alive. That's why we've got to build these roads. That's amazing. Who wrote that poem there, Henry? This poem is by David White out of the UK. I, I believe he's a, a professor at Oxford. 
Uh, it's a it's a it's a beautiful piece, isn't it? it if yes. I put all of that together, um, there, uh, I, uh, I mean, I, I love the idea of going on journeys. I love the idea of adventure. I love the the idea of pathways. I mean, that's you know, my, the book I'm writing at the moment is all about the pathway to excellence. You know, so it's all about the 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 journeys that we have to travel to get to the place we need to, um, uh, and to become the person that we need to be. Fundamentally, if I put all of that together. Um, what I'm hearing about is that learning and unlearning is about growth. Correct. Um, uh, and, you know, again, it's, it's it, when we did the research on all of this area, that's what we found was the key quality um, of somebody who, who learns and unlearns because you have to have the disposition to learn and you have that's to correct. have the inclination to unlearn. You have to have the inclination to recognize when something once was relevant and is no longer. And as, we said, and, and as I said earlier, you've got to have that discernment to know what are the things that I'm going to hang on to? What are the things of enduring value? Um, uh, we talk about um, when, when we're doing work uh, uh, at Circle around content development and so on, we, we use the phrase, kill your darlings a lot, which is about, <laughs> you know, and, 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 and it's, it's, it's the old writer's um, uh, caution, which says that um, anything that, you, that comes from your laptop or from your pen that just looks too beautiful and too sexy, that's the thing that you've got to be prepared to kill straight away because yes. It's, yes. It's, it's, it's a personal preference as opposed to something which is needed, really required to take you on the journey um, uh, along the way. Um, and, and thereby that discernment between what is valuable and that which is no longer needed, even if you're personally connected to it. I wonder whether, you know, you, you, you talk there and you, you make reference in David's poem uh, to the, the darkness and to the, and to the night. I wonder whether part of the challenge we have is that we present our boys, we present children um, with a picture of the world which is so rosy, which is so filled with light that when they're confronted by the dark, they're frightened by it and they have no way of journeying through the thing that they're worried about. You are on the money on that one, my brother. Uh, so on the money. And the word that comes to mind is resilience. You know, one thing I would want to export from our generation to this generation is the idea of resilience. The idea of enduring in those night dark times. And I see this as an area where a lot of our young people, I don't know if you're aware in America, when we have these little soccer leagues, which my son is playing in actually tonight, uh, they, you know, the soccer team football, and everybody gets a trophy. And we have kids that are growing up believing that everybody gets a trophy. When I look at some of my, go ahead. Henry, I worry about that because it's very important for that young men earn their place. Um, uh, and if you automatically get a trophy, you haven't earned it. And everybody yes. knows that, don't they? Everybody knows that. Yes. Yes. And I, I, it's even a, a wonder when you see kids actually walking up to the platform to receive the everybody wins trophy and you're sitting there thinking, what is the uh, psychology of this? You know, what is the impact of this? So, you know, that's something that I, you know, in terms of exporting into this generation, when you ask me, what are the old... Uh, spaces that we could still maintain, but then what are the ones that they can unlearn? One I hope that we maintain is um, to give our kids that which made us men, 
And the, that which made us ma- men, for most of us, is the places of pain. The places where you are rejected from being the starting player on the team when you thought you were the number one soccer player in the world. The places where you were supposed to go to the best boarding school in the country and you never went to that bo- best boarding school and your peers went there. Those places where you were invited to a deep place of, of self. And so uh, how can we do that for our, for, our, for our generation? I think, Phil, that's where some of the, un, um, the unlearning will take place. And this unlearning has to be, um, we have to really consider uh, the young people as agents or experts of their own lives and allow them the freedom somehow to arrive at this conclusion of what all do I need to give up? Because if we snatch it out of them, it's a revolution. And revolutions are bloody. They are indeed. Well, as Mao Zedong said, a revolution is not a tea party. Um, so uh, what, what I'm hearing you saying here talks to me about the way in which we can promote resilience um, in young men um, is we, we can't wrap them up in cotton wool. I mean, we don't want to be unnecessarily cruel towards them, but we have to, we have to teach them that life is difficult uh, and that you have to work towards getting some sort of joy and satisfaction. You can have fleeting moments of, of, of joy and happiness. Um, I worry very much that we've become obsessed by happiness in a world where there are many emotions. Um, you know, there's happiness, there's, so- there's, there's sorrow, there's joy, there's confusion, there's boredom. All of them have a place in our humanity. So if this is the age of the human, then we have to learn to recognize all of those myriad ways of being human and not just pick one of them and say, we, we want you to be happy all the time because no one can be happy all the time. It's unattainable. It's, it's, it's not realistic. And actually, I don't think it's growth because, you know, if, if everything is rosy, if everything is peachy all the time, then, you know, where, where's the growth? Where, it, where, is, where is the resilience? Where, where, is, where is the working your way through the pathway in the dark times towards the light? Phil, I'm going to share something with you, and uh, this is something deeply personal, if that's okay. So when I was in eleventh, when I was in eleventh grade, I went through a phase where um, I saw how what how HIV ravaged my my country, specifically the men. I saw a lot of my friends lose their fathers. This was an extremely challenging time of my life. In fact, the fear of death was probably one of the things I lived with in most of my childhood, from about fifth grade till about twelfth grade. I saw so much HIV. I saw so many of my relatives move from a good-sized human being to just a pack of bones in a bed. And so great was the pain that I made certain commitments in my life um, that I might share at a later point. But um, one of the things that came out of that, I think it, that, mom- that experience in the moment felt like a curse. But that experience now is the gift that has given me the empathy, the depth of humanity that allows for even someone like you to ascribe to me the title of professor of kindness. I realized that that did not come from that which I was taught. That comes from a deep sense of humanity that, I, that comes from an experience that shakes you at the core. Spending the weeks that I did in a mental hospital and coming out and looking at my father and my father looking at me and say, son, we're going to go forward on this. And you know, in Africa, when you have that mental health um, experience, there's stigmas with mental health. I thought that stigma would never leave me. So when, you st- when you're looking at me, 
What I want to tell the young people is, please do not fall in love with my swag when you don't know my story. So it's up to you and I, as the leaders, to equip us, dude, our young people, our young men, to become well acquainted with the difficult spaces so they could be true students of their lives and then therefore become experts of their life. Somebody once told me that the word authority in its root has the word author. And hopefully our young men take the front row seat to start writing their own stories and being authors so they could have authority in their lives. Oh, Henry, thank you so much for sharing that. That's, that's, that's incredibly powerful. Um, um, I don't think it needs any embellishment. Uh, can, can I pick up that notion of equipment that you, you just talked about? Because I, I want, if I can, to share, again, some of the research around this area, around growth that we, we've discovered. I think there are three things I want to talk about. Uh, I want to talk about the notion of boys being equipped to become dynamic learners who are committed to continuing to grow and improve throughout their lives. It's the commitment bit, I think, that's important. And that it's important that we equip them to become committed. And I think that requires um, that requires hope. It requires optimism. It requires positive models, um, uh, but not Pollyanna models. You know, it's, it's, you know, yes. it's got to be realistic and it's got to be grounded. So that's the first thing, which is about equipping boys with the commitment to continue and grow. I think the second thing is that we need to help them to retain the curiosity, the resourcefulness, and the adaptability that that, that young children have, um, uh, uh, and that can get lost in adolescence when the awareness of the outside world, the awareness of your own insignificance, the awareness that your own voice, your own agency might not be what you want it to be or as strong as you want it to be. But we need, we need, we need boys to become young men who retain that curiosity, that resourcefulness and that adaptability so that they can use that to be in a process where they can take that commitment to growth and actually transform towards becoming the people they need to be in the future. The third thing I want to, I want to suggest is that they need to be people who then give back by encouraging others to become better at continually developing their competencies. So they need to be equipped with a commitment to grow. They need to um, have the courage to use curiosity, resourcefulness and adaptability right throughout their lives to become somebody better. And they need to encourage people along the way. I wonder if those three things are three really tangible things that can help boys to um, have that resilience that you talk of, to have that capacity to grow, to recognize um, when, when to learn and when to unlearn. Wow. I, I think you sum it up well. <laughs> you know, um, ECE, e equipped, courageous, and ready to encourage. Uh, I love the word choice of courage because courage in its root in the Latin comes from the word cur, which is heart. And so they need to bring their hearts, you know, um, not to sound idealistic, but I think when we can tap into the heart, that's where the real transformation takes place. I think we have a lot of leaders in the world that are leading from the head and then they haven't tapped into the heart. In fact, 
Phil, I like to tell people that the biggest journey or the longest journey for a man, you and I, that you and I will ever undertake is a journey between your head and the heart. And it's not a very, literally, it's not a very long journey, but as a metaphor, it is probably a, a, the roughest terrain that we have to undertake. And so you saying that we equip them, give them the curiosity, the wonder to ask questions, and ultimately the courage, and then having them be ready on the back end of all this to encourage others to be agents of change after they've discovered who they are. You can't offer value if you don't know your, your worth. And so we're saying, what you're saying, what I hear you saying, Phil, is let's give you value. I think, Henry, that um, the thing that I've had to unlearn most in my life is has been my natural default towards the head rather than the heart. So your analysis there makes a lot of sense. I noticed that, brother. <laughs> I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I'm slow. I'm I'm slowly, slowly getting there. You know. So I'm 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 slowly, slowly um, learning that. And guess what? Guess what, Phil? Uh, what I love about our relationship, I've been thinking about it, is that you, I you you are pulling me in the direction of the head in a healthy manner. And I believe, um, I hope I'm also pulling you in the direction of the heart in a healthy manner. Um, that's such a lovely, that's such a lovely thing to, uh, to propose. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to accept that at face value and we're going to work with it from there. Okay. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a great thing. Henry, we've, 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 ha I think we've had a fantastic conversation about the learning and the unlearning that young men can be doing in our world today. I think it's been great to talk about growth. It's been great to share some stories. Um, in and around that. I'm really looking forward to our next conversation that we're going to have. Um, uh, I wonder whether, based on, on, on what you're talking about, that, that metaphor that you gave of the journey into the dark and trying to find the pathway forward there, I wonder whether we might talk next about the notion of future builders. Would that, would that be a good thing to do? That's awesome. I look forward to that. I look forward to that. Excellent. Well, Henry, thank you for the conversation today. Um, uh, folks, we're going to talk about future building next time. This is me, Phil. I've been talking with Dr. Henry Masoma, my new brother and internationally acknowledged professor of kindness. We look forward to the next one. Game Changers is a podcast for those who want to change the game of school. Produced by Samuel Wiseman for Morgan Productions. Tell your friends and don't forget to subscribe.